I'm John Golia. And I'm Greg Fife. And we are the, the Flight Safety, Safety Detectives. Detectives. We're just two guys who have spent most of their career with the National Transportation Safety Board investigating aircraft disasters and aviation safety issues all over the world. Yep, and this podcast is where we talk about everything from accidents, airplane technology, to the big business of aviation. We live and breathe aviation. My co-host John has been in the aviation business for more than 60 years. He was the first and only airframe and power plant mechanic to get a presidential appointment to the National Transportation Safety Board. And Greg is a former air safety investigator and GO team captain for the NTSB. He's investigated everything that flies worldwide since he started his career 40 years ago. And on top of that, he is a living legend of aviation inductee. So between John and myself, we have over 100 years of aviation safety experience. It's time to buckle up because it's going to be wheels up. Let's get this show in the air. Hello, John. We're back again with another flight safety detective show. How are you doing today? I'm okay. Well, based on uh, some of our listeners, uh, we've gotten a couple of requests to talk about our time at the NTSB in in the sense that, uh, you know, they want to know how parties to the investigation or technical experts from the manufacturers interact with the NTSB. And uh, we've been uh, we've been through a lot with these parties. Uh, there was always a, an issue with regard to how much and how forthcoming a party, such as a manufacturer or a, an airline union um, and that kind of thing, pilots union, might interact with the NTSB. And when we did value jet together, of course, we had some issues on the maintenance side, especially with uh, third-party maintenance operation. And so, you know, one of the things that the folks want to know is how does the board interact with these types of folks and how do they know if they're fibbing or fooling or trying to deceive the NTSB? Well, first off, you know, to be a party to the investigation, you have to have an interest in what happened and you have to bring some expertise to the table. So the party members are usually employees of the company, employees of Boeing, uh, or the manufacturer, engine manufacturer, places like Honeywell that manufacture the avionics. So they get party status. So they get to be part of the investigative board, if you will. And then as, a, as the investigation progresses, we will go down into the bowels of an operation and talk to the people who did the work, if they're still around. Uh, if they survived, if they weren't on the airplane, the pilots, uh, and as anybody who worked on the airplane. I mean, we dig into the records and talk to people who touched this airplane, sometimes going back a couple of years, depending on the type of accident. And one of the areas that uh, a lot of you have written in and expressed concerns with is how do they handle when the NTSB comes knocking on their toolbox and they're in the hangar floor and wants to talk to them. You know, it can be very intimidating. Absolutely. And and one of the things that uh, we saw with ValueJet, of course, was once the investigation started to take focus about what was going on in the hangar with the removal of these uh, oxygen generators, that really started to open up the, the maintenance issues, if you will, how they were performing maintenance, what ValueJet and actually SaberTech, who was the third party contract maintenance operation who was removing these uh, oxygen generators, what they were doing or not doing with regard to properly documenting 
these oxygen generators that eventually ended up on a value jet airplane, which then led to an in-flight fire and the loss of the aircraft and 110 folks. One of the things that drove me crazy at that point in the investigation was when one of the maintenance people disclosed that they worked on this airplane for uh, more than 30 days on the oxygen generators and all the supporting overhead uh, supports and all the work done in the cabin. It was a lot of work done in the cabin. And there was not one piece of paperwork completed until about five or six days after the job was all done. And as we found during the investigation, we called it kind of a, a paper writing exercise where a lot of folks were uh, that had been in the um, hangar basically went through and just started signing things off. Not properly, they were just doing the follow-up paperwork in, a, in an effort to uh, CYA their activities. And um, some people, even the feds, and other than the NTSB, viewed that as being deceitful because they hadn't properly documented and, and recorded all of the things that they had done in that hangar floor. So in the past, that was not uncommon in big operations. What was egregious in this particular one is the time between the beginning and the end and the fact that the end, and they still didn't have the paperwork until they were getting ready to close this airplane out and get it out of the hangar. So there was a long lead time. And in fact, some of the people that had signed off portions of the work that were done uh, told us that uh, they don't even know if they did that work or not. But the manager came by and divvied up the paperwork, and they had a signature party. Uh, and so everybody had to take some, some of the paper and sign it off. And, uh, you know, that's not the way we operate. And one of the things that we did in, in one of the previous shows is uh, we talked to Kathy Yotis of Yotis & Associates with regard to a mechanic's responsibility and the proper sign-offs per uh, Part 43. But now when, when there is an event and the NTSB and or the FAA do come into the hangar and they start asking questions and they, they want the, the folks to be forthcoming. One of the things about the NTSB is it works on volunteerism. Um, and that is when I would go in and, and interview pilots or mechanics or managers or whoever, I was depending on them being very forthcoming um, in the interest of aviation safety. And while that may sound cliche, the fact is, is that the board, even though they have subpoena power, the authority that resides with the NTSB, um, they can't beat the truth out of anybody. They can't really get the this, this story. And we found that with ValueJet during the public hearing when the mechanics pleaded the, quote, fifth to protect themselves from self-incrimination. But when they do participate, if there is a maintenance person that is participating, I mean, it is dependent, uh, the board depends on them being very forthcoming. And you and I recently talked about an issue uh, involving a director of maintenance um, who wasn't so forthcoming. Was he ever? I mean, this director of maintenance, under direction from his supervision, by the way, he's cooperating, uh, has cooperated with the investigation. He was charged, and we'll get into that in a minute. But just like ValueJet, this individual, mechanic, certificate holder, actually went out and committed a crime because his manager told him to. I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, you know, I understand trying to work on behalf of the company and that kind of stuff, but to, to put yourself in a position of jeopardy, I mean, what's it really worth? And, you know, whether this guy thought he could get away with it or not, that's a whole different story because we haven't talked to him. But 
you know, just the, the thought of putting yourself in a position of jeopardy is just, is just crazy. So this, the accident that I'm talking about that led to this director of maintenance getting charged happened several years ago. And he was awaiting sentence was the last trail that I could find prior to doing this podcast. But he was waiting to find out if he was going to get five years in prison, a fine of $250,000 plus three years probation. That's what was hanging over his head. So because of that, he decided to cooperate fully after the fact and after he had, he had done some pretty egregious things to cover up the maintenance error. What was the basis for all this? What was the, what was the accident? The accident was a Piaggio P180 that had uh, gone, undergone maintenance in Florida and then had flown to California, and uh, it was flying up and down the coast carrying passengers. Uh, there was something like uh, three days involved where the airplane went up and down the coast, and the elevator had separated from the airplane. Wow. Now, to add to insult to injury, on the last flight before it was discovered, the flight crew actually did a walk around and didn't even see it themselves. So the flight crew had performed an inadequate walk around and missed it, but the airplane kept flying. It's tribute to the airplane that it would fly with one whole elevator missing. And their only uh, complaint from the pilots is that the elevators were non-responsive. Uh, Durr, you, you've lost 50% of your elevator. Yeah. And it, it was amazing that they uh, could still land the airplane. Good thing they had bad weather or crosswinds. This is one of those things where this is a commercial operation. You got two professional pilots, and they miss something that obvious? Yes, they did. The, the report doesn't go into, into their statements, but it, it must have been interesting to hear how they justified not hearing it. But the hardware, hardware wasn't secured on the elevator, and that's why the elevator left the airplane. So how did the FAA find out or what happened? I mean, since there wasn't an accident. This airplane didn't crash, right? Well, the elevator was found at a different location than where uh, the airplane was. Okay. So, so <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, that'll get somebody's interest. Yep. So, you know, when you find some spare parts out in the runway and, and they say, who was who left here? <laughs> anybody know, anybody recognize this? So it, uh, it was rather egregious from that point of view. So the, the mistake was made during a phase inspection. They uh, failed to properly secure attachment hardware. And they also didn't have any, uh, uh, they reused the hardware, and which we we reuse hardware all the time. But we supposed, in theory, you're supposed to check to make sure it still has uh, ability to, to stay retained. But uh, in this case, they really didn't. But really, what got this guy in trouble is after they found the problem, he called a local mechanic that he knew. He's in Tampa, and he instructed them to go out and remove all the bolts and the hardware and send it to him in Florida, separate and independent from the investigation. Off the incident aircraft. Off the incident aircraft. Wow. All right. Then it gets better. He also instructed them to go out there and tr put power on the airplane so that the flight data, re uh, the uh, voice recorder would erase the conversation that they had in the cockpit over cell phones when he was telling them what to do. Oh, for crying out loud. So they had, they, you know, and they didn't do that. So they forgot to do that piece of it or did it improperly. It's not clear in the, the report. But in any event, it didn't get erased. So they had the voice uh, recordings telling them what to do from the cockpit area microphone. They had the fact that he shipped it. They had the shipping documents and the hardware. Eventually, he gave up the hardware. And all because his manager told him what to do. Wow. That's a problem for mechanics. We had one enforcement that came to uh, 
the board members when I was there with a brand new mechanic, and he was working in a, a small FBO, and his first job was rebuilding an engine that had been torn apart, sent out to have the Magnaflux, the crank, and you know all the pieces that uh, were inspected, and he had to put it back together. And when the crank came back from the vendor, it had a red tag on it. It was unserviceable because it failed the inspection. And uh, the guy that owned this facility, it was his airplane and his engine. So he instructed this brand new guy to put it together, do this, and uh, I'll take care of the paperwork type of deal. So the mechanic signed all over it, and the airplane left. The guy who owned it sold it. It ended up in Baltimore, and sometime later had a problem, and the FAA got involved, and they, looking through the records, they were looking for records for the required inspections, and they weren't there, and that led to the uncovering of this. And unfortunately, the new mechanic, who now, uh, I don't remember, but I think he had less than a year with his ticket, had it revocated. So all that time he spent in school, he lost his certificate. It is one thing to, again, work for a company, especially if there is a, an event that takes place and, and if you're part of the problem trying to CYA. But in this particular instance where you have somebody that is knowledgeable but is being directed to do the wrong thing, there's just no way somebody's not going to find out, especially in this particular instance, the feds. And the feds aren't going to take very kindly to the fact that this is the kind of activity that has taken place. I mean, what when you were out in the field and, and of course, being the NTSB, you were fortunate to play both sides and see, you know, the interaction, if you will. I mean, what's uh, what's the advice? I know that for me, telling pilots, it's like you got to be straight up because, you know, you, you, you try to snow someone with a ridiculous kind of story. As an investigator, I take your story at face value until I have physical evidence that either corroborates what you said or negates what you said. And I know that, you know, whether it's a mechanic or a, a manager or a pilot, that's the same philosophy. So, you know, what in this case would you have advised this director of maintenance to have done? Well, it's not only in this case, but I have advised many of the people that are in the machinist unions accident investigation course, as well as the Transport Workers Union. In fact, you and I have done training sessions with, with uh, virtually all the unions, Yeah. and uh, the message is the same. You know, you come in there, you're part of the investigation, straight up tell the truth, right? There's nothing wrong with the truth. People make mistakes. If you try to cover it up, now you've got a problem, because it will come out. There's no way that you're going to cover up, because as the, as the investigation continues, it's multiple layers it's going to turn up. Pieces are going to turn up. Physical evidence is going to turn up. Hardware, witness marks on hardware. I mean, the list of the standard investigative processes uncover a hell of a lot more than ever make the report right, because it's so thorough. So I tell everybody, straight up, just tell the truth. If yes. you're in a union, a union rep will deal with it afterwards if there's discipline involved from the company or in some of the unions will actually uh, provide a lawyer to uh, try to protect your interest in front of uh, any actions that come later. But uh, you've got to be straight up because if you try to bury it, it just gets worse and worse. And we've seen a number of accidents with maintenance-related issues that Eagle Lake, Texas, I think it was Continental Express with a Dash 7 or Dash 8, where they had done the maintenance, there was a shift change, the work cards weren't properly uh, recorded, of course they left part of the horizontal stab um, you know, uh, not finished as far as rebuttoning up the uh, the 
the skins and that kind of stuff. And there was, again, a problem. The airplane took off and the horizontal stab failed. And, uh, and next thing you know, we, we had a loss of an aircraft. I mean, these are the kinds of things. Even the shade tree mechanic, if you will, the guy who's working at a general aviation airport, you're never immune to any of this. And you've seen it, I think, from the board position where you've seen uh, actions that were taken against mechanics where the, they petitioned to the board for you to, to review it to see if the facts, conditions, and circumstances warranted the violating action that the FAA proposed. So I think that from, from that standpoint, what's your advice then to, to all of the mechanics out there? Very simple, very sweet to remember because, again, the feds are going to do an investigation and it's not like they're going to just take your word for it. No, that's right. So if I if a mechanic today, I the first thing I would tell and I do tell people today is join PAMA, Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, because they have a lawyer on staff that handles FAA enforcements, as well as we have as a board member the former regional director from the FAA's legal office in New York, Loretta Alkali. She's on the board for PAMA. That's the reason why she's there so that we fully understand the enforcement, the strategy that they use, and we try to advise our people so that they don't step on it. But if the example I used in the beginning, where the FAA or NTSB, who comes with the FAA, comes knocking on your toolbox for information, what I would say to them is, I will cooperate with you fully. I want to have my representative with me. Now, your representative could be somebody you work with, uh, but I would strongly advise that you get a hold of somebody like Kathleen Yotis. If you're a PAMA member, you get some of that for free as part of a, a legal services plan. And then you talk to them and you be open and honest, but at least you have a representative there who's thinking clearly and understands how the government thinks so that you don't admit to a felony and then find yourself on the wrong side of the jail cell. Yeah, because uh, the penalty is is severe, and uh, again, you're not forthcoming, and then the board finds out or the FAA finds out, it's even worse. You know, that's a loss of a career easily, and and we've seen this. I mean, with ValueJet, we still have one of the mechanics who worked for SaberTech, who during the course of the investigation, our investigation at, of ValueJet, uh, ended up testifying momentarily, if you will, at our public hearing, pleaded the fifth and has never been seen again. And in fact, still sits on the FBI's most wanted list today. He's on the FBI's most wanted list. That's how egregious, that's how severe the feds take these kinds of actions. So uh, again, for those of us out there in in the real world, if you will, you know, the maintenance techs, you you have to be straight up as well as pilots and, and of course, management. But I mean, this is a, a in a position where this director of maintenance found himself in do I or don't I, and unfortunately, he kind of did the right thing at the very end, but uh, started off doing the very wrong thing. Most people don't realize that Department of Justice works very closely with the NTSB, as well as the Federal Marshal Service, and today, uh, especially after 9-11, the FBI is involved in every accident now. They have a presence there all the time. They're looking for a federal violation, not so much that they start their presence and, and once it's determined that it's an accident and not an intentional act, they kind of phase themselves out. But again, we're going to have another podcast about the fact that how they stay phased in, like with a, with a TWA 800, where they stayed 
pretty much throughout that entire investigation, even though it was uh, determined to be an accident and not an intentional act. In fact, stated Gage, they had more they had more people as part of that investigation than the NTSB did. Yeah, they did. They, they did. had plenty of presence because if if that ever turned out to be a criminal act, they were posed to strike. And they also had a presence on TV, giving a lot of press conferences during the course of of the investigation, even though the NTSB was providing, quote, factual information, the, the, the issue and, of course, the conspiracy theorists out there then came through and said, well, why is the FBI so, so involved still if this is an accident? So, yeah, we'll have, uh, we'll have some fodder for another podcast in the future to discuss that particular accident and many others. So, but uh, again, this is, uh, this is one of those issues that I think that for the listeners, they will benefit from, uh, from this kind of uh, story. I'd like to leave everybody with a couple of thoughts. One is, if they come knocking, anyone comes knocking on your toolbox, tell them you're willing to cooperate, you want to get a representative before you open your mouth. Because as Kathy Otis and, and Loretta Alkali will both tell us that the number one reason why this prosecution is because the individual thought he could talk to the FAA and make it right, and it ends up it's not making it right. They dig the hole deeper. So you want to have somebody that can speak for you, that you don't incriminate yourself, right? but you need to be open and honest. If you try to conceal it, it's going to come open. Look at what's going on today with all the sports stars and movie stars, things that they did years ago. Now it's all coming back, and it's, it's much bigger now than it was at the time. The big thing now is, uh, you know, doing the right thing. And, and again, we try to emphasize that having been at the NTSB and being the ones asking the questions, you know, and finding out that, hey, you weren't really forthcoming. It's hard to talk yourself out of it, especially with the feds. So thanks, John, for uh, for bringing that up. I, I appreciate it because, again, every time we talk, I always learn something new. So and for you listeners, uh, if you want to uh, ask questions, you have some issues you want us to discuss. Uh, we'll be happy to do it. You can contact us at flight safety detectives, all one word at gmail.com. And for both myself and John Golia, we want you to, uh, to tune in again because we'll be having, again, some more great discussions about current events and some, you know, very historical accidents where there were a lot of lessons learned. And again, we look forward to, uh, to you, the listener, providing us issues that you think we should address that could help not only you, but the aviation community. So with that, I will sign us off and say... Have a safe flight. To listen to more episodes of the show, go to FlightSafetyDetectives.com or the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association at PAMA.org and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Catch us next time when John Golia and Greg Fife talk about all things aviation. Thanks for listening. British Airways, we're recruiting in our ground operations team at London Heathrow. You'll have bags of responsibility as a valued colleague below the wing of our aircraft. Every touchdown and takeoff would not be possible without our brilliant team. So this is your chance to make a real difference and showcase your original skills and talents. New joiners will receive a £1,000 sign-on bonus, along with staff travel benefits from day one. 
Plus, we offer world-class training and career development opportunities. Bonus terms and conditions apply. Visit ba.com slash careers and apply now.